If you ever notice something about to go down and thought, oh, that's not going to be good. If you have a child that's long on adventure and short on common sense, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Anybody out there have a kid or raise a kid like that? I, I did. That's my youngest. It's not that, it's short, that, it's not that Tate is not bright. He is. Uh, but Tate refuses to allow what might happen or what probably will happen stand in his way of a heart-racing adventure. For example, when he was seven years old, we were eating dinner with a couple from church, and they had two little kids as well. And Tate was with his buddy on a big hill and climbed in this, this boy's little brother's baby stroller. And then he said to his buddy, here's what I need you to do. I need you to shove me as hard as you can down this hill. Not giving any thought to the fact that he didn't have a way to steer or stop. And he came to an abrupt stop when he ran headfirst into a tree. At the age of 10, he climbed out on a thin tree branch with zero consideration that it might not be able to hold his body weight. That was one of our several trips to the ER. At the age of 13, he decided to uh, do front flips out over our backyard picket fence, not thinking about what might happen if he didn't judge his launch angle just right, and thankfully he always did. That's just Tate. And because of that kid, I have had more moments than I cared for when I've thought to myself, oh no, this isn't going to be good. And so what did I do when that thought crossed my mind? Well, to tell you the truth, it depended upon the situation. If I saw Tate at the very top of the boat dock getting ready to do a front flip into a lake, I didn't do anything. Even if I realized that the odds were it was going to end in a belly flop. You say, well, wasn't that painful for him? Yes, it was, but I knew it wasn't going to kill him. Just between you and I, hearing him smack on that water, it always made me chuckle just a little bit. <laughs> but if there's ever a moment in which I saw Tate standing at the top of our roof getting ready to do a front flip into a backyard kiddie pool, you better believe I would have come running and screaming, no, 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 don't do that, don't jump, stop. Why? You know exactly why. Because there would have been nothing funny about seeing my little boy hit that hard ground. You see, those that we care about and we love, the last thing we want to see is them hurt in any significant way. Everybody knew what was about to happen was not going to be good. Paul had set his heart on going to Jerusalem, but he was going to be accused and arrested perhaps beat, maybe even killed if he showed up there. And everybody knew it. How did they know it? They knew it because the Holy Spirit told them that's what was going to happen to Paul. So the church, they begged and they pleaded their brother Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. They couldn't bear the thought of the one that they cared so much about suffering in any particular way. Listen to the words that we read in Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse 3. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria, 
we landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. A few days later, a similar scene plays out in Caesarea. We're going to continue reading in verse 10 through 12. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Notice, Agabus used such a powerful illustration that all the people there, the Christians there in Caesarea, they plead with Paul, don't go. But it wasn't just those individuals. It was also Paul's closest traveling companions. Let's go back and notice what Luke writes. He says, we, who's we? That includes Luke. That includes the closest traveling companions of Paul. And the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Every person there did everything they could to talk Paul out of making that trip. Now imagine they said things like, hey Paul, we don't think the decision you're about to make is a very wise one. The other way, there are other ways that you can serve God in other cities. This isn't just from us. This is from the Holy Spirit. Was it? Was the Holy Spirit telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem? Well, clearly the Holy Spirit was giving Paul a heads up as to here's what's going to take place if you go to Jerusalem, but no way did the Holy Spirit forbid Paul from going to Jerusalem. In fact, it was the Holy Spirit who originally told Paul, hey, I need you to go to Jerusalem. Paul speaks these words in Acts chapter 20 and verse 22, and now compelled by the Spirit. Not just my own choice, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. If there was one thing that Paul was certain of, it was that he was supposed to go to Jerusalem. Now, don't think for a second that the gut-wrenching pleas of his friends not to go didn't weigh on his spirit. They most certainly did. In fact, Paul goes on to say in chapter 21 and verse 13, then Paul answered, are you weeping and breaking my heart? In that confession, it's clear that these people who loved Paul so very much and who no doubt believed that they were acting on his best interest, that they were really challenging his resolve about God's call for his life. And it was crushing Paul's spirit. In thinking they were doing good for Paul, they were actually harming him. So what do you do when you see a person who's about to make an unwise decision? And not just any unwise decision, but an unwise decision in the name of following Jesus Christ and obeying his will. What do you do when you see a family with young kids Say, so, you know what, we think, we've decided, we're going to travel, really move, to disease-infested tribal lands in Africa because we believe that God wants us to spread the message of Jesus in that region. What do you do when your daughter calls you and says, hey, mom and dad, 
I really believe that God's called me to serve as a medical missionary over the summer in a hostile country, a place that Christians, but especially, especially females, are apt to face persecution. What do you do when you get that phone call from your son that says, I'm thinking about dropping out of college and I'm going to stay right here and work for this church, this small country church that I've been interning at for the summer? What do you do when a fellow church member says, you know what, I think I'm going to quit my job and go into full-time ministry. I think our family's going to move to a very rough section of the city because we believe that we should be the presence of Christ there. What do you do when you hear that family say, we've decided that we believe we should foster children with disabilities because that's what God is calling us to. What do you do when people say, we're thinking about making a decision that very possibly could result in frustration, disappointment, and pain? Here's the first thing I would suggest we do so we'd be honest about why we are uneasy with the decision. Why, why did Luke plead with Paul not to go to Jerusalem? You say, well, he cared about him. He didn't want to see him hurt. Yes, I imagine that was the vast majority of the reason. But could it be that part of Luke's motivation was his own lack of desire to go to Jerusalem? Who knows? What I do know is this. There have been moments in my life that I've tried to talk people out of certain decisions because it forced me to really look at my own faith put pressure on me to consider if I was being obedient to the call of Christ. You see, if nobody's taking a risk and nobody's making a sacrifice, it's very easy to remain blissfully ignorant about the state of your faith. But the moment a person shows a willingness, even an eagerness to sacrifice for the cause of Christ, you have to start thinking about your own faith or lack of faith. Before we ever say a word to another person about a decision that they're making for the cause of Christ, we must honestly assess as to whether or not our concern is born out of a a love for that person or maybe some shame we're feeling about our own lack of faith. You know, when you get that phone call and that person says, here's what I'm thinking about doing. I'm thinking about serving in a summer internship at an inner city church in which I'm not going to be paid. We have to stop and think, okay, am I concerned because this person isn't going to be paid and I'm not sure how they're going to pay for college in the fall, or am I concerned because it's forcing me to think about my own materialism? When you see that family at church making the decision that we're going to invite a homeless person to live in our home, is our concern born out of, ah, I'm not sure that's safe, I'm not sure that would be good for them, or is it because it forces me to think about uh, what's my responsibility to the downtrodden? And so we need to honestly assess the unease that we have with decisions. But second, talk to the person about your concern. That's what the Christians in Tyre and Caesarea did. They went to Paul and they warned him. They said, listen, if you go to Jerusalem, you're in danger. Something very bad might happen. But let me tell you what they didn't do. They didn't congregate in the church foyer. They didn't gather at the local coffee shop. They didn't make phone calls, at least to my knowledge, about Paul's foolish decision. All too often, I've experienced that's what Christians tend to do with others. 
when they see an unwise decision about to be made. Listen, you may think a decision is idiotic, that's fine, but at least have the love and grace to talk to that person about your concern rather than gossip about them behind their back. And it's extremely good to share your concern with the person rather than not saying anything because when you make a decision that's fraught with risk, you need to go into that situation with both of your eyes wide open. For instance, when I have personally learned about a college student who was considering dropping out of college to stay on at a church that they had done a summer internship with, I would do my very best to open their eyes. I would have that conversation and make sure that they knew something about finicky parents, flaky teens, and cranky church members, living on a salary barely below the poverty line when you're first out of school, and not being able to take an afternoon nap like you can in college. And I would do this because I realized that all that they had experienced in ministry to that point was the spiritual high of summer camps and summer mission trips and amusement parks. And so before they went into that situation, I believed that they needed to be aware of or have the knowledge of the ups and downs, the good and the bad, the flows of ministry that takes place. But here's where it gets complicated. If that student listened to all of my concerns and the things that I shared with them and gave that prayerful consideration, but then they still felt absolutely convicted that God had called them to drop out of school and begin full-time ministry, that was the moment that I really needed to get out of the way. You see, trying to open somebody's eyes is one thing, but then trying to break their resolve to follow the will of God Well, that's very dangerous. I pray God would have mercy on me if I did that. And so after you're honest about your concerns and you talk to the person about those concerns, there comes a point, though, where you just have to entrust them to God's care. And that's what the people of Caesarea did for Paul. Listen in verse 21, verse 4, or chapter 21, verse 14. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. I love the way this verse reads in the message. We saw that we weren't making even a dent in his resolve and gave up. It's in God's hands now, we said. Master, you handle it. It's hard to see people that you care about making risky decisions. Right now, my son Tate is thinking about seriously considering dropping out of college at Lipscomb University and enlisting in the Marines. This past Wednesday, I spent a little over two hours on a call with a recruiter, with Tate and with his mom. And Tate shared with me that He has a desire to jump out of helicopters and do search and rescue or something equally dangerous of that nature. If you can't tell, I'm struggling with this. (laughs) But you know what? God can handle it. 
and he will handle it because he loves Tate far more than even I do. Now, am I saying or suggesting that we can rest easy because God's, God will ensure those who courageously follow his leading will live happily ever after? No, I am not. Paul went to Jerusalem. Within a short period of time, he was falsely accused and he was threatened and he was arrested and he was imprisoned. That's exactly what happened to him. And sometimes our worst fears play out, but God is still in control. And because God is still in control, we can rest in the insurance that his plan will be accomplished and that he will take care of his servants both here and in the ever after. And that means sometimes when a family makes the decision that we're going to go be missionaries in a third world nation or a very risky nation, let me put it that way, some may lose their lives, but they will never be separated from the love of God. And sometimes when a student makes the decision that I'm going to go minister in an inner city community, they'll never make a whole lot of money. But God will provide food and shelter and clothing. And sometimes when you make the decision, I'm going to take in people into my home, strangers, and I'm going to care for them. You're going to grow weary and you're going to grow frazzled. But God will give you rest. And so I want to encourage you to do for those who are making risky decisions exactly what the people of Tyree did for Paul. You say, what did they do? Well, Acts chapter 21 and verse 5, when it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach, we knelt to pray. There comes a time for the questioning and critiquing to end and the praying to begin. And all too often, it comes much sooner than we realize. But we need to give people over to God and pray for them. And I realize we're running long. Do you have just a moment? Can I switch gears for just a moment? We've got to get to Bible class in just a few minutes. I want to switch gears because I want to address this topic. How should you respond when your decision-making is questioned? What do you do then? Well, first, listen with an open mind. Oftentimes when we feel like we are being led by the Holy Spirit and somebody comes to us and says, I'm not sure you're making the right decision, we get easily offended, don't we? There's part of us that wants to say, how dare you question what I'm doing when I'm being led by the Holy Spirit if you just had faith like me, blah, 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 blah. And I would say to you, lighten up Mr. or Mrs. Self-Righteous. Right? <laughs> If a person comes to you and they're willing to share your, their concern with you, it's usually because they care a lot about you. And so listen with an open mind. But it's also possible that what you perceive to be the leading of the Holy Spirit is just a bad case of trying to disguise your selfish desires in spiritual language. Number you, a friend of mine who's as the missions ministry leader at a large congregation shared with me the story of a young couple who came to the church and said, we believe that we're being called by the Holy Spirit to be missionaries in Ireland. Long story short, my friend said, after several conversations, 
he learned their master plan of evangelism in Ireland. This was their master plan. We're going to spend the first month sightseeing. We're going to spend the second month looking for a place to live. Month three, we're going to begin our ministry. We don't have any idea what that's going to look like, but what we are certain of is it's going to be completed by month eight, eight and you need to bring us home at that point. Now, I was sincerely hoping that he was going to share that they decided to support this young couple because then I was going to share with him that I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to do a one-year stint in Maui. (laughs) But for some reason, he felt like what they perceived as the leading of the Holy Spirit may not have been. Folks, it's easy to convince ourselves that we're being led by the Holy Spirit, but oftentimes we're simply being led by our own desires, our own fears. And this is why we need spiritually-minded people to share their concerns and ask questions. It's often in those difficult conversations that we're able to confirm or find out maybe this really wasn't from the Holy Spirit. On more than one occasion, I've had those conversations with students that were thinking about dropping out of college to begin a full-time work at a church But after a brief conversation in which I shared some of the realities of ministry, they would then get to a place and say, you know what, Sean, I think here's what's really going on. I'm just tired of school. I don't want to go back. And I understand that, but that's not a good reason to go into full-time ministry. I love this passage of Scripture in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 15. The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. One of the wisest things that you can do when you're making a decision that very well could result in suffering, disillusionment, disappointment, is to have an open mind towards the concerns that other people are sharing with you. So listen to others, but allow the Holy Spirit to have the final say. If after listening to other people share their concerns and their desires, you get to a place where you still feel like you're convinced that the Holy Spirit is calling me to make this decision, then don't back down. Don't allow well-meaning but misguided people break your resolve. Go forward. But make sure you go forward with with the same outlook of Paul. Here was his outlook, verse 13 of chapter 21. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That's an amazing outlook, isn't it? Paul says you're worried about me because you're afraid I'm going to die in Jerusalem. Don't be. Because if what it results in is more people coming to know Jesus Christ, I'm good with that. That's fine. I'm on my way. And so he went. Bold decisions for Jesus often come with great risk. What everyone fears might happen, it often does happen when you're on the front lines with Jesus. And we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus makes it very clear that suffering is a part of this. It goes with following Jesus Christ. We suffer just as he suffered. In fact, he puts it in his very first sermon. He says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11 and 12, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, Jesus didn't call you to pick up your lazy boy and follow him. 
Jesus called you to pick up a cross, a big, heavy, splintery execution piece. Are you all right with that? I hope so. Because so often what common sense deems is not good ends up being really good. Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. Not good, right? Yes, to a certain extent, not good. In another sense, it was so good. As we will see as we continue this study through the book of Acts, the gospel of Jesus Christ spread from Jerusalem to Rome because Paul was willing to follow the Holy Spirit all the way to a jail cell. So here's my plea this morning. Let's spend less time worrying about people who make decisions fraught with risk and let's actually take a risk. Incredible good for the cause of Christ is often the result of decisions made by people who are willing to live a life that doesn't always feel good. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. If you are watching online, if you have a prayer request today, feel free to mention that in the chat window today or send that to us by email. We will certainly be praying for you this week.